The confident mum decides that while her family is important, so is she. And so it begins. Hi mums, welcome back to the Confident Mum podcast. I'm your host, Olga Uju. I hope you are all doing great. I'm pleased to be able to release the long-awaited third instalment of our three-part allergy series. If you haven't listened to part one and two, I encourage you to do so when you get time. But on today's episode, which was recorded during the height of Allergy Awareness Week, here in the UK, the 26th through to the 30th of April, 2021, I was joined by Holly Shaw. And it was such an honor you know she's a clinical nurse advisor at allergy uk one of the largest allergy charity organizations in the world she generously took time to help answer questions from the confident mum listeners and offered some really practical and reassuring tips and advice on for example what to do if you suspect your child has a food allergy the symptoms to look out for the importance of food allergy awareness how to manage the fear and anxiety that being a food allergy parent can bring and so much more. So enjoy this episode and I'll see you on the next one. Hi mums, welcome to another episode of The Confident Mum and today I'm joined by Holly Shaw of Allergy UK. This is part three of our three-part allergy series, really to honour Allergy Awareness Week, which has taken place from this Monday, 26th, right through for the 30th here in the UK. And the reason why it became a subject of particular interest to me and many mums that have since sent me messages is because many children in the UK um, particularly are affected by allergies and finding out, Holly, when and how and what to do is difficult for mums. Obviously, there's many adults affected, but they're much more in control. And if you are a family like I was that hasn't ever really had exposure or knowledge of food allergies, it can be very, very difficult to not only manage, but to get your head around. So um, I'm so glad to be joined by Holly. She is a employee of Allergy UK, and she'll be helping to answer some of these questions today. If you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you, please. Yeah, so thank you so much for your warm welcome. My name's Holly, and I work for Allergy UK. And we are a patient organisation that supports people living in the UK with a variety of allergies. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people we do support have a food allergy, which is what the essence of the conversation is going to be around today. Brilliant. Yeah, of course, we're aware that there's so many different allergies. But like I said, we are going to focus on food. So just for someone that doesn't know, what exactly is an allergy? Just to start with the very basics. Yeah, sure. So allergy is a um, broad term. It's an umbrella term that's used to um, define quite a few different allergic diseases. So under that umbrella, we um, have asthma, hay fever, eczema, Mm -hmm. food allergies, then allergies to drugs and allergies to venom as well. So it's a broad term. Um, And an allergy itself is the um, immune system reacting in a certain way to something it doesn't like. So when it's presented with an allergen, which can be something in the air, something we eat, something we're exposed to, medication or something we come across, it doesn't like it. It recognises it as such and it mounts this immune response, which we see as allergic symptoms. Brilliant. Allergens then are things that will trigger this 
allergic reaction. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So in the case of food allergy, Olga, we're specifically concerned with a small majority of foods, actually, that cause the majority of allergic reactions and commonly food allergens that that cause allergies in in smaller children are egg and uh, cow's milk, which to some people could be quite surprising because cow's milk is one of uh, the first foods that's often introduced to infants, depending on um, how they're fed initially. If they're formula fed, then that formula is based on cow's milk protein. And if mum is having cow's milk in her diet as a breastfeeding mum, then small amounts of the cow's milk protein can come through the breast milk and be posed to to this to the infant. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of where it kind of begins. And in my case, and in many mums' cases, we then begin to potentially see like rashes and obvious signs of some kind of allergy. But the question or the reason why, again, this is so important for us is that it doesn't always just present only as a rash or an allergy when you get to the point where you've began to introduce it directly. And so therefore mums can be unknowingly presenting their children with allergens that can result in anaphylaxis, which is something that is really, really frightening. And we're just trying to work out what tips would you give in order to manage the process um, up until the stage of introducing foods directly to the baby? So what I would say is um, that the the signs and symptoms of food allergy are very Mm -hmm. broad and they're often seen in many other childhood ailments and conditions. So if you do suspect that your baby or child has had a, a reaction to a food, Um, then to discuss that with a healthcare professional and the first point of call would usually be your GP or health visitor Um, and it may be the case that actually what you think is possibly an allergic reaction is indeed completely unrelated and there are often many other reasons why children may um, appear to be having a reactions to food and it's not actually an allergy but I think the key thing is to recognize that something's wrong and speak to a healthcare professional it's quite easy you know in the throes of busy parenthood and, and being a busy to turn to the internet um, and start um, looking on search engines, putting in your signs and symptoms, and you can often come away more confused than than you were in the first instance. So there's a broad range of symptoms um, related to food allergy. It depends on the underlying mechanism of the type of allergy. But as mm-hmm. I said, many of the symptoms are really common in other other childhood conditions. So don't firstly, you know, jump to conclusions and um, speak, to, speak to your GP or health visitor. Mm-hmm. I think we've had mums um, that have spoken to their GP and have raised the concern that my child every time eating certain foods is presenting symptoms of what we think might be an allergic reaction. So the question then is, how do we manage, you know, we've kept a food diary, I guess that's one way to do that. But if we're really concerned, and we want to get referred, how do we kind of manage that process? Or at what point is it serious enough 
for us to take it to our GPs and to kind of not demand a referral, but to be taken more seriously. Good couple of things that you picked on there, Olga. Firstly, the one-offs and then the reproducible um, symptoms. So keeping a food and symptoms diary can be really helpful just to build up a pattern or a picture. But if your child does have um, a, a significant allergic reaction, then I would encourage you to seek medical attention without delay um, depending on the time of day or, or week you know whether that's NHS 111 or picking up the phone or you know speaking speaking to your GP but the the main the main point is to go in to speak to a healthcare professional explaining the signs and symptoms parents you know they they have a good good awareness of what what is right and wrong for their child um, it often comes, comes with clues. And what, what we want to happen is for mums and dads to explain to the GP, you know, the signs and symptoms. If they have been able to get some photos or a little video, then that can be really helpful. And the mm-hmm. GP should be taking what we call a detailed allergy focused history. So understanding a little bit more about the foods that were given, the timings of the possible allergic reactions, whether any medications like antihistamines were given, how effective were they? Did the symptoms resolve of their own accord? And they're building up a case, building up a suspicion as to whether that particular allergy was related to the food and the key thing is um, that not all allergies are diagnosed on a clinical test so it might not be appropriate to refer to an allergy specialist because it might be something that could be managed between the GP maybe even a dietitian whose expertise is going to be quite great Mm -hmm. useful around you know the dietary um the dietary needs of that infant or child so it can be that it can be managed without needing allergy testing and referral and there's different types of allergies as mentioned before the non-IgE the delayed type allergies which are diagnosed by removing the suspected food allergen from the diet for a good four weeks and then reintroducing it to see if the symptoms improve or if they stay the same and that helps to give a picture of whether or not that food was the suspect culprit with regards to symptoms but for IgE mediated allergies where we see the very immediate type of symptoms coming on shortly after the baby or the child so a, a rash hives red red raised bumps vomiting diarrhea in more severe cases infants can um, become quite pale then those are the immediate type of symptoms. They can have swelling to the lips, so swelling around mm-hmm. the eyes as well. And that would be indicative of um, a food allergy that may benefit from a clinical test, so a skin prick test or a blood test. And often there is the need for a referral to a specialist paediatric allergy service for that. And the GP is the gateway for that referral for, for the majority of people, even if you do want to seek private testing, um, you will normally need referral from a GP to do so. That's the um, incidents that happened when my oldest was hot. We were introducing foods to her. So she was six months and I made a pancake which contained egg. And obviously every mum knows what's passed through their precious baby's lips. So I had a feeling, oh, you know, there's some egg in this pancake. And I had already previously brought up my concern to my GP. Unfortunately for my daughter, the symptoms that you've just described happened to her. And we ended up in A&E and then a referral was made to the GP on our behalf. So now we're managing food allergies. And there's mums that have been like, 
do we have to get to a point where there's an anaphylaxis before we're taking more seriously? How can we really push more or what more can we do? Because we just don't feel sometimes our concerns are taken seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we hear on our helpline at, at the UK. So you're not alone. Oh, right. So there's a help, yeah, helpline. Mm-hmm. Experience. So um, if people are worried and have been to see their GP and they don't feel like they're being listened to, then make another appointment, see another partner in the practice, speak to another GP, speak to your health visitor, you know, keep tapping on the door. You shouldn't mm-hmm. need to, but sometimes it isn't as clearly defined as, as what we think. So it is really important that initial contact and, um, you know, making your um, case as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And you've experienced that. And it is really scary. As- it is. Yeah. Two occasions, the second time, the same child was now five and now she's aware that she something's what's happening with the face and the eyes as she's going into this anaphylaxis due to her indirect exposure to another allergen that what didn't actually present itself when she was younger. So can you speak to about that, about the change in nature of allergies and foods and can you shed more light on the fact that it could be one thing one day, another thing another day in terms of food items? Yeah, so it's not uncommon for us to hear of, you know, children in the first instance Mm. having allergies to those common foods, the eggs, the nuts, the cow's milk. The vast majority of infants and children will grow out of a food allergy to cow's milk and egg, which is which is the kind of light at the end of the tunnel that parents would like to know. So by the time they reach school, the majority of of children should have grown out of those allergies there are more persistent types of allergies so those to nuts and Mm -hmm. and nuts. we talk about peanuts as a legume as a vegetable that's grown in the ground and then tree nuts so all the other types of nuts that are grown onto a tree and they're quite different in the way that people are affected by them and they tend to be the more persistent type of food allergies but what what we don't fully understand is why there's been such a, a a rise over the past decade of food allergy and there's lots of different schools of thought Mm. Um, we've known for a long time that genetics and families tendency to develop allergy stems from parents having allergies themselves if a child has one allergy they're more likely to develop a different type of allergy or have for example eczema as well as a food allergy so there's lots of new learnings around allergy and there's lots of um, really innovative and exciting research with regards to treatments but at the moment there isn't a cure for food allergy so that an immediate diagnosis and, and getting the right treatment for the type of allergy is the re- really important part of a family's experience and that food allergy journey that, that you've been experiencing and talking about today. Unfortunately, yeah. And and also another question is, okay, I'm pregnant. Do I eliminate these foods now? Is there any more information? Can it be avoided, an allergy in a child, if you eliminate certain foods or is that not the right path to take? Or is there anything you can speak to about that topic or area? Mm-hmm. Just for a mum that might be worried, yeah, saying, okay, maybe I'm, you know, I have hay fever, I've got asthma myself. I don't know if I should start eliminating certain foods from my diet before the baby even arrives while I'm breastfeeding. No, absolutely no advice to support removing certain foods from the diet with regards to prevention. So for for ladies who are um, currently pregnant or looking to become pregnant, then just eating a healthy, balanced diet is is the most important thing. 
we all have different dietary preferences, you know, stemming from the foods we like to eat to cultural um, things that we do or don't eat. So I wouldn't want to encourage somebody to start eating a certain food or to eliminate a certain food. So it's a normal, healthy, balanced diet and not avoiding things like peanuts because you're concerned that your baby may have a peanut allergy. There's no evidence to support that. And is there any kind of information on why one child might have allergies and then another child you've done nothing different but yet yeah, they can enjoy the peanuts eggs and nuts again this is a situation I'm in and many other mums is like what <laughs> so allergy is really not black and white it really is quite gray at times no. and that goes back to the you know the, the likelihood of allergy running running in families so if um if as parents um you have allergies yourself there is an increased chance that your children will have allergies but where you have multiple children and one has an allergy and one doesn't you know who, who knows there is that element but yeah, it is really frustrating, but also a relief. Having w- one child with food allergy is more than enough on your hands, isn't it? Oh, oh gosh. And just again, um, speaking to that, when you say parents with allergies, are you talking specifically food allergies or are we just talking generically now? Because uh, I had asthma as a child, but I can eat whatever I want. And similarly, my husband had a bit of hay fever, but we've never had food allergies in either of our families. So just the fact that yourself and your husband both have experienced one of the types of, of allergies, mm-hmm. thinking back to that umbrella and the, the yeah. um, different types of allergies that come underneath that, that just increases the likelihood of, of your children developing an allergy. It doesn't mean that it will follow suit, so it doesn't mean it will be the same type of allergy. Right. And it is common don't find that and um infants and, and small children that develop eczema that's moderate to severe in mm. severity are more likely to go on to develop a food allergy that's a, a relatively new um kind of understanding of how uh, the immune system becomes primed um through the faulty skin barriers seen in in eczema where the skin becomes broken down and food allergens can present themselves to the immune system through that skin barrier so it's really important for any listeners that have infants um, with eczema to take good care of their skin to be applying good quality thick plate moisturizer to their skin mm-hmm. regularly to keep the skin well moisturized and, and, and in good condition um, to prevent um, any problems down the line with food allergies and we want people to be confident in feeding their children. You know, feeding is an enjoyable yeah, thing. <laughs> this is the confident mum and it's food anyway, you know, especially when you get into introducing food, as we know as mums, it's always like, ooh, that in itself is a challenge. However, if you're unknowingly feeding your child with a potential allergen, then it just heightens the anxiety around the whole food process anyway. Um, so you're saying a majority of children should have outgrown it. Is there a particular age? You're saying preschool, three, four or five? Usually with egg and cow's milk, it's by the time they reach primary school age. Um, school. As I said, persistent allergies to nuts and fish, they tend to stay, unfortunately, with the child into into their older older years and they aren't mm-hmm. outgrown. But there'll always be your child that their egg allergy will persist or their cow's milk. But the vast majority of the allergy, the immune system will work work it out and um, they will outgrow their allergy, which is which is good news. That is really good news. Yeah. Really good news. So for those that have, you know, crossed over the school age and are now in school with children with allergies, 
Uh, one of the questions I had from the mums is, how do they reduce the fear or just how do they manage the child's emotions as well? Because my child now as well is five. So she's very aware that sometimes she can't sit with her classmates when they're eating particular foods or they're particularly careful around her when they bring in their cakes and chocolates for their birthdays. It's, we must read the label and, you know, so it now begins to affect and, you know, some mums have just been honest and said they're affected. They've got anxiety and they don't want to pass it on to the child. And is there any help around that? This is something we hear so, so Mm. much. And it, it stems from, you know, when children are small, they spend a lot of time at home and the care of their parents who can be their safeguarders, who can be their number one you know, looking out for them, making sure that what they're exposed to is what they can safely have. And then they step into the big wide world of going to primary school or or even nursery before that. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. really anxiety provoking as a parent because you've had that complete control over their diet and the things they're exposed to. But I think as part of the process of managing food allergies and, and being a confident parent around that, it's about role modeling and about that positive communication with your child and just equipping them it's about the way you communicate with their teachers or 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 the nursery staff about the things that they can have so that positive element of you know it's not always about what they can't have but these are the things they can have and about just thinking about not having food treat rewards on birthdays there could be treats in other aspects such as stickers or things that are less likely to be a problem for those children with allergies and then age-appropriate management as children get older they can start taking on some more responsibility for their own allergy needs and even my daughter she's she's not even two yet she can say eczema she knows she has magic cream on every day to help with her symptoms yeah communication you know she knows she has to sit down and, and have a look at a book while I put the cream on her back so it's just like having that positive um, engagement with your child and um, that open level of communication with the people that are going to be looking after them and equipping them there's some really good tools out there we have allergy action plans that are available on the allergy uk website and and that's a really good tool writing down your child's allergy writing down their treatment plan, getting it signed by the GP or allergy specialist. And then you can give a copy of that to whoever's looking after your child. They've got a detailed plan. It includes a photo, a list of their known allergens and what to do should they have an allergic reaction and providing the school or nursery with any antihistamine medicines or any asthma inhalers, any adrenaline auto injectors. Then, you know, they've got the equipment and the tools to yeah. be able to manage that um, should they accidentally come across an allergen whilst they're in the school or, or a nursery environment. Thank you. That's so good. I've had another question, actually. If you have a baby that potentially having an anaphylaxis, they, the parent doesn't have access to an EpiPen. Is there, apart from 999, is there anything more they can do? The reason why we're asking that as well is because there's Pyroton. Are we supposed to administer any kind of antihistamine in the process or is it just too late at that stage? Well, just to reassure the people that are listening, um, the vast majority of allergic reactions won't be of a severe nature. And I think that's a, a parent's greatest concern. The vast majority of reactions to foods will be very mild, will be a rash, will be some mild swelling to the lips, maybe a little bit of vomiting. And those mild symptoms are best managed using a antihistamine age appropriate 
um, for the child, often pyritons prescribed or what we call cetirizine, and they're liquid antihistamines. And they will help with those symptoms. If um, after giving those, the symptoms rapidly progress to more serious symptoms affecting um, the baby or child's breathing, or they become pale and floppy, then that would be a cause for concern and antihistamines won't help in that instance. So I wouldn't want anybody to delay getting help by administering an antihistamine. So they would pick up the phone, they would call 999 and they would tell the call handler that they think that their child's having anaphylaxis and um, that that call would be triaged, so prioritised and an ambulance would be sent but I do want to emphasise to your listeners that anaphylaxis is less common than a mild to moderate allergic reaction. And most anaphylaxis is, are well managed and treated. And, you know, if the ambulance arrives, then the appropriate care and treatment can be given and the child is taken to hospital and observed in A&E or, or transferred to a ward. Mm-hmm. That's great. And thank you for that. And on the same line of questioning, if you are kind of out and about, so your child now does have rashes potentially, should you be carrying your pyriton with you everywhere you go, your antihistamines, in the same way that we do with our cowpoles and, you know, in our bags? Like, is that something that you would advise to be on us in the same way we would have an EpiPen or... If your child does have an allergy and part of their allergy management plans is something you've discussed with their GP or with the allergy specialist is that you do have antihistamine for mild to moderate allergic reactions, then absolutely, you know, if the child's out of the house and potentially eating and going to be exposed to things, then it wouldn't wouldn't hurt at all to have that medication with them to help alleviate the symptoms. Yeah. And without a doubt, if a child's prescribed an adrenaline auto-injector, that should be with them wherever they go, you know, whether it's a walk, walk to the park or whether it's, you know, going to mm-hmm. uh, family members for a, an afternoon, going on a play date, going to a hospital appointment, even that that adrenaline auto-injector should be with the child. And pertaining to the auto-injectors, the EpiPens, we are or normally given two. Is that, would you say that, is there like a push for Allergy UK to get maybe families given a bit more based on where the child may be or may not be at any given time, i.e. in the school? Or do schools get their own supply, just out of interest there? Yeah, so um, the guidance from the um, MHRA, which is the UK regulator on, on medicines, is that anybody diagnosed with anaphylaxis and, and deemed to need an adrenaline auto-injector, of which there's a few different types. EpiPen's a common common name for for them but there's also a jext pen as well which some of your listeners might be familiar with so having two of those is good practice one would hope that using one and then calling for help so calling an ambulance the ambulance would be there before the need for the second pen but that's why the second pen or adrenaline auto injector has been prescribed so you've got that second one if needed but really after that you know the, the help that to, yeah there that professional help that can monitor the child that can give additional medicines that can provide oxygen if needed that can give the greater level of you know medical attention that's needed so that that's a recommendation for, for the two adrenaline auto injectors oh brilliant and just in terms of travel obviously there's a lot less travel now with lockdown but the world opening up again new exposures, going overseas. Is there any particular thing, maybe on Allergy UK, or that you advise 
parents with children with allergies? Is there a checklist of what they can do to make sure they're in the best possible position and to get help if needed abroad? Yeah, sure. Um, and it's a big source of anxiety because like like anybody, we all like holidays. We all like um, do, yeah. travel. Mm-hmm. Once a window of opportunity for that opens up again. We're off. Yeah, yeah. How we can do that in the most safe way. We actually have a really great section on the allergyuk.org website, which talks about traveling with allergies. But just a snapshot of my top tips from that would be to communicate early with the accommodation choice that you make or the travel provider. So before booking tickets, before investing in you know accommodation anywhere, pick up the phone, contact customer services, the managers, and just ask, are you able to cater for my child? They have a severe or a, a mild um, allergy to and, and have an open dialogue, open conversation. And that way, that's, mm-hmm. you know, before a ticket's booked and the expense is booked. So communication really important at all levels. So even if you've mentioned it at the booking stage, you know, if you're taking um, air travel, then mention it when you get to the checkout, mention it when you're about to board the plane. There's lots of different things that can be done with regards to taking your own um, safe snacks on the plane, having conversations around what type of food and drink are available. Yeah, Yeah, requesting Mm -hmm. special diets wiping down the hard surfaces on seats and armrests on aeroplanes you can make a special request to board early to do that making announcements to other passengers to refrain from eating the certain foods that you might have a problem with they're all things that can potentially be done obviously keeping medication in your hand luggage that's close to you not having it locked away in your suitcase so there's Mm -hmm. lots of different things that can help to build confidence in people that want to take their children away um, over the summer holidays Oh, that's brilliant. And thank you for those tips. You know, in terms of COVID, actually, which we are in the midst of hopefully coming out of, what impact has that had on charities such as Allergy UK, if any? Is there any information you can give there? Because, um, you know, every charity is going to be flying their flag, rightly so, due to the importance of it. But just want to find out what the case is with Allergy UK. Thanks, Olga. That's really great that you've asked that question because we have found ourselves to be as busy as ever because people Mm -hmm. haven't been able to access their usual, you know, standards of care from NHS services. And that might be they haven't been able to have a face to face with their GP, which is quite difficult with regards to skin allergy presentations such as eczema. They may have had an appointment with an allergy specialist that's been postponed or or delayed. (laughs) Yeah. So that has all increased anxiety amongst parents and also left them a little bit in the lurch as to what they should be doing. So it's actually made us as a charity busier than ever. But like any charity that relies on fundraising, um, the fundraising events with regards to marathons and and all the extraordinary things that people do for us haven't been able to go ahead. So like many charities, we've lost a lot of our funding stream. So we rely on um, donations from members of the public. But during COVID, we've maintained a charity that's had a dedicated helpline so if parents have needed to pick up the phone if they've been concerned Mm -hmm. or 
advice than our trained helpline support staff have been there for them the clinical team of, of nurses and a dietitian have also been there to answer any more complicated queries and we've seen an escalation of, of parents calling up with regards to food allergy in their children we have a really great program where we can provide dietetic support with an online telephone um, appointment for parents who suspect their child may have a food allergy if the children meet the inclusion criteria if they're under five if they've had allergic symptoms if they've not seen a dietitian before then we can get them some specialist help so if any of your listeners are in in that position and would like to contact Allergy UK we we may be able to help you. Brilliant and I'm one of those you know those as well so I will be putting more information um, out there I have linked the and I will link some of the fact sheets on the show notes as well. Now, that's absolutely brilliant because what we want to also make sure that we're doing is charities are doing so much great work. We want to make sure that we are making sure you guys are getting the funding where you can through any means, um, all means necessary, and not making sure that there are holes or gaps just you know because of things like COVID. So thanks for keeping the helpline open, as you stated. That's going to be really useful for so many parents um, out there with children with allergies. Let's be honest, although most allergies are not as severe as an, and don't always end in anaphylaxis, there are a lot that do and it is increasing, unfortunately. Yeah, we do. I mean, we do we do speak to lots of parents with allergies, so we get to, to hear anecdotally of that impact and as a charity we work hard to lobby and to work with policy makers and influencers to help provide the best um, care for people living with allergies and to be the voice for um, parents and, and carers and those people that live every day with it to ensure that you know through levels of health care up to government to to food policy that those that have allergies their voices are heard and that is reflected in any work that's we work closely with the food standards agency with government organizations with we we consult on guidelines that nice produce on various different allergy related topics so we we do really get involved in public engagement Mm. in you know trying to do the best we can that people take allergies seriously and that is part of the vision we have as a charity. Brilliant and in terms of law and legislation we know there's Natasha's law that came out in 2018 and that has really helped me on my journey and many other mums as well to make sure we're looking at labels and making sure we're picking up foods that are right for our children. Is there anything else you want to shed light on in regards to food labelling? Is there any new information coming out or is there anything that Allergy UK think would be in an ideal situation, this would be how we would roll out legislation, foods, different laws, anything. So obviously food, food labelling is, is really important. It's so important for anybody with dietary needs, but specifically those that have um, the potential to have such severe consequences to be able to trust food labels. And uh, we've worked closely with the Food Standards Agency and clinical specialists in the field of allergy to help push that agenda. And as you said, Natasha's law comes into effect in, in the autumn of this year. So that will help significantly all of those parents that um, are buying things from direct sale, which was the essence of, of those labels. Oh, right, yes. From, yeah. you know, your smaller retail outlets, your, you know, your food stores, your markets 
things. So it just enables greater choice and confidence for parents in, in being able to choose safe foods for their children and to be able to enjoy the opportunities that those that don't have food allergies often take for granted. And what's the underlying point that you would like to make today that we can take away with us? So if you are concerned or worried about food allergy, then I'd encourage you to um, have an honest and open conversation with your health visitor or your GP. If you feel your concerns aren't listened to, then keep knocking on that door. Keep speaking to your health professional. We're here at Allergy UK for you. We have a dedicated helpline and website with lots Mm -hmm. of amazing information and do go to trusted sources like allergy uk please don't um, please don't go down the lines of looking online and and, and doing um, various tests that seem you know very easily to access and very reasonable because there possibly is no evidence base behind them and you may not get an accurate result and you may be cutting out lots of different foods from your child's diet so do stick to trusted validated resources for allergy testing and do speak to professionals about your underlying worries with your child or baby's allergy that's amazing you know it is such a as you said, allergies are the huge umbrella and it's something where with food allergies in particular we just have to make sure that we are just getting this information and not kind of drawing conclusions from sources that are unreliable so thank you for reinforcing that point from a kind of like a final question, Allergy UK, if they had the money to do whatever they needed to do from an allergy perspective, where do you think that will get pumped into first? I think increasing awareness and just getting yeah. everybody on board to take allergy seriously and just driving our agenda on that on that that whole you know, whole nation awareness. And then obviously there's lots of things we'd like to do as a charity, building on all of the good work that we're already doing. It's our 30th anniversary this year in August, oh. 30 years of um, you know supporting people living with allergic disease. So it's a mm. real um, wonderful milestone for us as a charity. Do you feel there will ever be a situation where allergy numbers will decrease or you just don't see that happening because we're just hearing about the upward trajectory of all kinds of allergies? It depends. I mean, some allergies have plateaued off and and, mm. and hopefully as our um, levels of understanding increase, as research and science evolve, we will develop ways to work out what switches on and off that allergy switch yeah. and hopefully work out a way to, to mod- modulate that. And, you know, the scientists or researcher that works that one out is certainly up there for a Nobel um prize in science because you know the the burden of living with food allergy especially Mm. long term is is huge on parents and and you've experienced that journey and it is a worrying concern and it impacts on the whole family doesn't it Olga it's not just the children it's the parents quality of life with regards to sleep and and mental health and there's a lot of work there thank you so much Holly um I know that you've got a lot on with it being allergy awareness week so thank you so much for your time there's so much more we can say and do but ultimately we just need to take the steps slow steps and maybe not just panic I hope that's what the message that I wanted to get across today and you've definitely reassured me as a mum is to try and remove the fear out of things and just have a practical steps whether it's a food diary speak up about what you want to say to the healthcare professional, keep going and try not to implement or instill fear 
on um, the children and just know that there are great resources out there, particularly from Allergy UK, Field of Facts, and of course, that wonderful helpline. So um, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much. Time. No, no problem at all. And how can people find? I guess it's Allergy UK. Would you be say that's the best way to redirect anyone with queries? We have a great website. It's allergyuk.org, and um, as I said, we have a helpline, and that number is zero one three two two six one nine eight nine eight. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you, mums. That's it for today. I hope um, this episode has been useful. And if you have found it useful, please share it. And please also check out Allergy UK, join supportive groups where you can get more help mentally um, and emotionally if you are, you know, a parent with a child with allergies. And just know that there is great work being done out there. And obviously, if you want to make a donation as well, then just check out Allergy UK for that too. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. If this episode helped you in any way, please share so more mums can find the podcast and benefit from the information on today's show. Please also subscribe and review the podcast. It will be greatly appreciated and really keep me encouraged. Till the next episode, remember that you are the best mum for your children and I know you're doing an amazing job. So be kind and patient with yourselves. See you soon.